It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being with us. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the show. With me in the KFG studio, certified financial planners, my business partners, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Yeah, today we're going to be discussing what you should do if you've had a bad experience with a financial professional. And you may have, and that's caused you to have one of several different reactions. And uh, unfortunately, we see this a lot where someone comes in and they just haven't dealt with something in a long time because they were hurt in some way and they're struggling with uh, trust and knowing where to turn. So we're going to be talking about that today to help you take the next wise step in your financial life. We also have a couple great questions from fans of the show. In fact, this topic was inspired from a fan of the show. So thanks for submitting that. Harold submitted a great question. We're going to hit that in the second half of the program. Uh, If you have questions that you'd like us to hit uh, on the show or really just any questions in your financial life, you can reach out to us a few different ways. Online, wisemoneyradio.com is how you find us. Submit a question right there on the right. You can contact the office. All that information is there as well. You can call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. And then wherever you do social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all that sort of stuff, just search Wise Money Show. And your favorite uh, medium there, I would just subscribe to the content so you stay up to date. But you can submit questions there as well. So, All right. As I said, this topic was inspired from a fan of the show. Uh, her name is Debbie. And she came to me and she, she said, you guys should do a show about what someone should do after they've been burned by a financial professional. And it's a little tricky, but man, that is important. There's a lot of people out there that have had an experience with a financial professional. It didn't go the way you'd really want to script it. And then they make a response. They have a response. And I actually think, as I've thought about this, there's a default response that we're all maybe hardwired with, most of us at least. And I actually think that could be the most dangerous one. We're going to talk about that. Before we get into that response, how would we define getting burned by a financial professional? Yeah, that can take a lot of different forms, can't it? And it it feels like almost every week there's someone coming into our offices to work with someone on our team, a a new financial advisor, and uh, everyone comes in with some amount of history, right? In fact, it's one of the very first questions that we want to understand is, what has been your experience working with financial professionals in the past? And Sometimes those are great experiences and we get to help build upon a a great foundation that was laid. Other times there may be regret. I I was actually just meeting with some new folks uh, earlier this week. And um, when when they mentioned the name of a past financial advisor, they literally gritted their teeth. Mm. and kind of growled the name at me. And uh, and I understood why as we dove into the details because this particular couple is probably forever going to have a certain financial product in their life that they regret having. Uh, it's, it's one of those types of tools that sometimes it's easier to get in than it is to get out. And they're going to be kind of stuck with it. Right? Sometimes. Josh, don't be so diplomatic. I mean, the tool that you're talking about here, it's um, what do you what do you 
call it? It's a lobster trap. Lobster trap. Yeah, there you go. Right? There you go. Yeah, you get it's very easy to get in and and for many of these, I mean the game is set up where you can't get out. And and I think that's the biggest one where people feel burned is they were sold something by a financial professional. You know, we work hard to make have this industry be a profession. I mean, the the, the amount of skill, the amount of education, the amount of things that you've got to learn and, 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 you know, the tact that is required to balance all of that. My goodness, that's a profession. And yet, yet there are a lot of people still in this industry that are, it's just sales and, and, and they're a hammer, everyone's a nail. And I think those are the biggest regrets that we see from people. You're exactly right. And, you know, you're talking about this being a profession. This is a helping profession too. And naturally those who kind of begin a career in financial planning, most of them out there have huge hearts. And, and I, I say that humbly because I, I get to interact with so many financial advisors every single day, and I, I think, man, they are people of character. They, they want to help people. They often have a story of their own for why they you know, joined this field. Someone had an impact on them and, and helped them make a great decision in their financial life. But there are still some who they make their living selling certain products, and uh, often it, it creates these conflicts of interest. And if those aren't disclosed and you make a decision based on the advice of someone who really was kind of looking for a payday, then then ultimately you're left with the ramifications. You have the consequences, and it makes it hard to trust again, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've often thought about how unfair it is that you can work with a financial advisor and i'm just going to say most financial advisors do a decent job um so i I, we're not poking everyone in the eye um, but there are in in our business as with in any industry or business there are some bad actors and so when you say well what what kind of damage what getting burned what does that mean well there that could I, I got burned financially, and so I had a client, and her husband died. She, her, the husband had a pension, and the pension went away, and a life insurance policy kicked in. The financial professional invested it a certain way, and this is right before the stock market dropped. Now, she had insisted that, hey, I'm more of a saver than an investor, so I really, I just need this to be really safe, and he assured her that it was safe. And um, when the when the storm came, uh, she realized how unsafe it was. And so financially, she was damaged. Yeah. And and for most people, the ram like, what can I do about that? What most people do is they just take their chips and move on. She wasn't content with doing that. She said, No, I want I want justice. I this is this is wrong. So she actually pursued an attorney and most folks when you work in the, with the financial professional you've signed an, a new account agreement which signs you up for arbitration so her recourse was arbitration most folks don't have that and and so there's a you have to make the distinction did someone do something wrong and in this case she made the case that it was and an arbitration panel agreed with her there was something done wrong but sometimes there are just investments and strategies that just don't work. Well, yeah. even sometimes, sometimes um, 
that's a temporary don't work. Yeah. Yeah. Because in, in this situation, if the if the story was a touch different and it was, no, it should be invested moderately and the moderate investments went down. I mean, I'd be as an advisor, I'd be upset about that. The client's upset about that. But hopefully those are temporary declines, right? That's right. I mean, if you showed up in a financial professional's office and you wanted their help to build a great portfolio and it is early 2008, yeah. you know, that's just bad timing. I mean, a a horrible storm is coming and you're going to get battered some. But, you know, the right coach will help you ride through that storm and help you realize, okay, there may not have actually been mistakes made here. Uh, or, or even incompetence. It's just this is a natural cycle that the markets go through. And their job ultimately is to help you bounce back when circumstances don't go your way or when the outcomes don't feel like they're, uh, they're beneficial to you. The plan has to adjust and change. Yeah, so there could be financial damage, but there also might just be missed expectations. I was expecting this and I got that. I showed up with a with a personal finance question or a personal finance problem and I got an investment solution. And if that's if that's your case, you, your expectations probably got missed. And you said, well, wait a minute. All, all these people were saying they're financial advisors. I showed up expecting uh, financial advice and just got the investments focused on and my, my real question didn't get answered. So that's a that's another way. And then the other to me is the, the emotional piece where, where a financial advisor said something to you that made you withdraw mm-hmm. and you stopped engaging. And I've seen it where, the, where folks have just stopped engaging in their financial life altogether because of something, a hurtful word that was said to them. Yeah. I, you know, what, what, what shouldn't be missed here is that there should be and the, the relationship between you and your financial professional that you're trusting is very important. And and you want to make sure that you've got someone who's following the right process and it's someone that is trustworthy. We're actually going to talk about our recipe for how you can find someone that you that you trust and that, that, will, that will help you. But then, more importantly, you've been burned. Now what do you do? We've got that and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. What do you do if you've been burned financially, if you've been hurt financially by a financial professional who you've trusted? What do you do? And I'm not talking about, you know, who, what attorney do you call, but sometimes that's part of it. But what actually do you do? We're going to be talking about that in just a moment. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being with us. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory, all three of us, certified financial planners working at Corhorn Financial Group with our full team of advisors there. Thank you to the attorneys at South Bank Legal, as well as First State Bank. Thank you very much for making the Wise Money Show possible. And lastly, to stay connected to the show, you can find us online, wisemoneyradio.com. You can see every episode there. You can submit questions right there as well. And then all the other sorts of content, the blog right there also. So, okay, we're talking about what do you do if you've been burned financially or if you've had someone's made a mistake and, and you've had to deal with the consequences. Now we talked about, you know, possibly you've been sold something. Possibly someone has 
said something that emotionally has hurt you and you've disengaged from them. And the other is that, um, you know, po- possibly you, the timing was off. The recommendation was right, but the investments went down temporarily. And, and I'm not trying to make you feel good about that. That, that can hurt. Um, but I want to just touch on one before we transition, and that is the difference in expectations. Kevin talked about in the first segment that if you have a personal financial question, should I pay off my mortgage or how much should I save versus how much should I put on debt or do I need long-term care insurance or when am I able to retire? You know, those sorts of kind of foundational financial questions. If you don't go to someone who's a CFP but also who's doing all six areas, analyzing all six areas of your financial life, doing comprehensive financial planning, you're likely going to get sold a product. The solution to this financial planning question is likely going to be a product. And we're going to equip you in just a minute to, to be able to sniff through that. If you're looking for answers to financial planning questions, and most people are, one mistake, one way to be burned is to just go to someone who's just going to, who their only solution is a product. And you've got to be watchful for that. So, all right. Now, if you've had some hurts, if you've been burned financially, now here's the point. What, what do you do about it? Um, I actually think the default response for most people is to then do nothing, is to then withdraw and say to themselves, see, I... I knew I shouldn't have trusted this person, and that's how the entire industry is. Therefore, I've got to do this on my own, and then they don't do anything. I agree. I mean, that's not just in the financial services area either. It's, you know, if your spouse betrayed you, if, you know, a doctor failed you or your church hurt you, often people say, well, I'm never going to open myself up to that hurt again right? I'm, I'm going to learn my lesson. What's the saying? You don't learn something from the second kick of the mule or something like yeah. that. <laughs> That's right. uh, and so this, this idea that, man, I, I, I obviously was too vulnerable. I allowed this to happen somehow, and I am never doing that again. And, you know, just like I, I would hope you would find another church or you find another doctor to trust, that kind of thing. Finding another financial professional to trust is an important, um, it's the right thing to do, but the the problem is the natural thing to do is to just kind of clam up and say, well, I'm I'm not doing that again. I'm now only going to trust myself or only going to trust my spouse. We're we're not opening ourselves up to other professionals anymore. Yeah. 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 I I am thinking about a situation where um, one of the parents had an account and out of this account, there was a distribution set up, and it went to another customer's, into another customer's account in Indianapolis. And this happened on a monthly basis as about a thousand bucks a month, and it happened for 37 months. Well, when the adult children realized this, because dad didn't pay close attention, the adult children realized this. They said, okay, we need to take um, action. So they went to the investment company and didn't get a uh, what they felt like was a reasonable solution. So then they made a mistake that compounded this. They went to a local law firm and said, hey, we want to sue this 
law firm. What they didn't realize is that they were bound to solve this problem through the arbitration process. And the law firm that they engaged didn't realize that either. So they were probably $10,000 of legal fees into the deal before they realized, yeah, this law firm will never, ever, ever be able to help me. They're wasting money. They're, yeah, you, you are totally wasting money. And, and so now we've got two mistakes and there's no recourse against the law firm. The guys that said, yeah, we can help you. We can write letters on your behalf. They spent time. They just didn't get a result and never were going to get a result. Yeah. So I would want you to understand there, uh, there is a, a proper channel, a proper recourse for an actual mistake. So you say, hey, did I get burned? I don't know. That mistake wasn't on purpose. You certainly felt burned and you and you felt like, hey, I need. And you need to be made whole. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That was a mistake. You need to be made whole. Yep. Yeah. And, and it came out of an account that added an extra $12,000 a year to dad's taxable income. So dad yeah. paid more taxes than he should have over the past three and a half change years. And with that money out of his account, that money wasn't growing in his account. So, so calculating the damages can be a little bit tricky there as well. So it, it gets to a point where mo a lot of times people just check out and say, I don't want to deal with this. But we would encourage you to kind of fight through it. Yeah. There, there's going to be some tough times, but get a resolution to this and get on with building the financial life that you need to have. Yeah. So how do you move on? And and how do you, how do you learn to trust again? And where can you look to find someone who's trustworthy? Even in our local area here, we were talking last week about character. We're going to talk, we're talking about the formula I'm going to share with you in here in just a second. And we're talking about just how many people in this corridor, how many financial professionals have turned out to have terrible character. Hmm. And there's one that happened earlier this year in, the, in this what's called the Michiana area. And people ended up not getting some paychecks. And it was a d disaster. And so how, do you, how can you sniff that out? How can you find someone to trust? It turns out trust is a formula. And this dates back to, what was it, Josh, 2004, 2005? Josh and I both stumbled upon an article, or he probably found it and shared it with me. And, and we both read it. It's called The Mathematics of Trust. And this is one of the things I love about Josh. We both read it. And we both said, oh, that is, that is awesome. Oh, how do we apply this? But then Josh said, yeah, but the formula's wrong. And I'm like, you, what are you talking about? And he said, no, it's not C. Trust does not equal C plus C plus C. Trust equals C times C times C. And he was absolutely right. Decades later now, a decade later, we're realizing that that first C, which is character, that we see all over the news with celebrities or other whatever, where when it's revealed what their true character is, there's no trust. So it's not that trust equals character plus competence plus consistency if you are a zero in one of those, you have no trust. So that's the formula you need to work. And we're going to actually walk through each of these. But to find someone that you should interview, that you should see if you've got a good connection with, you've got to see how they, how you apply that formula. Are they trustworthy? Well, that depends on their character in addition to their competence, in addition to how consistently they can deliver their service.
So we're going to break each of those down here in just a second. But what else would you guys would you guys add to that formula or how you can learn to trust again? Well, not only is that that formula hopefully um, something, maybe a an outline for you to evaluate any future advisor or future professional, but it's also a way to evaluate what went wrong when you got burned too. It could be that maybe you got burned just because they had sloppy processes and procedures and a mistake was made. It could be that you got ripped off by a crook. Yeah. Or it could be that maybe someone ventured beyond their own skill level. They were they were in too deep and they gave you advice that they really didn't even understand themselves. And so depending on what caused their trustworthiness to go to zero, um, that really could help you in, or it could influence how you find the next professional that you should be serving as well. We're going to break that down and tell you where to look for that professional. That and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Where can you turn to find a financial professional that you can trust? Turns out trust is a formula and you've got to find people that actually that formula yields trustworthiness. Okay, we're going to lay that out for you and then how to find someone here in just a minute. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being with us. My name's Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. I want to say thank you to Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett and her inspired team serving both Michigan and Indiana with real estate needs. Thank you very much for making the Wise Money Show possible. Every episode is on our YouTube channel. So I want to invite you to go to the YouTube channel. Just search Wise Money Show. You can subscribe to it and click the bell for all notifications. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is going to be there, but also all other content as well. Different videos that we're doing on what to do about this, or if, or, or if you're facing this situation, here's the first things you need to consider. All of that's right there on the YouTube channel. So I'd encourage you to visit the Wise Money Show on YouTube. Okay, so we're talking about what what to do if you've been burned financially and how can you learn to trust again? And trust is a formula. And this applies to trusting your coworkers, trusting family members, trusting friends, trusting a financial professional. And that is trust or someone's trustworthiness is equal to their character times their competence times their consistency. Now, very quickly, how can you get a how can you quantify someone's character? And I'd be open to what you guys think here, but one is um, is a referral. If someone, if someone that you trust has been working with someone and they say, yes, I've had a great experience with this person, that gives you an indication of what their character is. Second, maybe they're they're involved in some causes you care about, or you've heard them involved or talk about some different causes, and that gets um, is some evidence to what their, their character is. Maybe on their, on their website, they have a bio, and you can see the things that they're involved in, and you get a sense of their humility or their, their passion or compassion. And then also, I would share there, I mean, there's also, if, for a financial advisor, there's also 
BrokerCheck, which is a, which is an online, I think it's BrokerCheck.org, where you can go and search someone's name and actually see, okay, have they have they been found of any wrongdoings in the past? But how else would you guys? That's the tricky thing because externally or publicly, what you're describing is a reputation, right? Yeah. But someone's character is really who they are. I mean, it is the essence of of the person and. We can describe a virtuous person and and whatnot, but at the end of the day, to me, does this person demonstrate that they have your best interest at heart? Do they put you first? You have to be elevated in importance and not them placing themselves above you. And unfortunately, yes, you can ask uh, friends and family for a referral. What's their experience been? How does this person demonstrate character? But part of it is just the interview process. It's it's experiencing what it is to be in relationship with this person, and uh, and I would even argue you can you can maybe even get some clues into the folks that they associate with as well, mm. right? Um, you know what? Iron sharpens iron uh, is a is a truth, right? Um, one bad apple spoils the bunch. Th- these truths tell us that the people we're around matter. Uh, you know, I was reading uh, just this week: "Walk with the wise and become wise. The companion of fools will feel harm." Right. I was reading also of. Um, um, Bad company corrupts good character. Yeah. Also in uh, in scripture, and yeah. you can't pretend that that's not a true statement, right? Right. That is a fact. That is a principle, and uh, you you can hope that well, maybe this person's different. But evaluating someone's character is so important because if if they are the most skilled individual on the planet, you know the the greatest surgeon ever, but they're during doing surgeries that aren't really necessary because it helps pad their stats or helps drive their income, you would say that's not a trustworthy surgeon. So right? that, that, so that's the second component then. You said, uh, what if they're the most skilled? So that's the second part of this formula is competence. Now, there's you're totally right with, with character. That's much more qualitative than it is quantitative. Competence actually is too, but there are some quantitative things that can give you an indication of someone's skills, someone's competence. That's their designations. You hear us talk about the comprehensive financial planning designation all the time. Well, it's because that should, doesn't always, it should equip someone with certain skills, certain competence. Different licenses, series exams, those sorts of things um, can also give you an indication of their competence. Same with their experience. But you need to ask them, do they have experience and competence in your unique situation as well? Right. Because being a generalist is great. Um, Having your certified financial planning designation is very important because it creates a baseline of skill or or knowledge, a a knowledge base that is very broad. But you may have some very unique uh, elements in your financial life that they also need to to have experience, knowledge and skill. Um, just the the ability to help you specifically as well. So an interview process has to tease that out. Right. And when you ask them the question, do they have the competence, 
hopefully they've got the character to give you the truthful answer. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because no. I would say time and truth go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So if I have someone with great character and no skill, I don't want to work with them. Yeah. If I have someone with great skill and no character, I don't want to work with them either. And so I want someone who's got character and skill or competence, but it needs to be consistent. Consistently applied. Yeah. And so that's where time and truth go hand in hand. Because you say, well, is it is it really figure outable? It is over time. And unfortunately, that's where there's a little bit of risk in the equation because I might find out after the fact that either this person didn't have skill or didn't have didn't have competence or didn't have the character. And that's when that's when I feel burned. Consistency is really about process. And that's how you hear us talk about the comprehensive financial planning process all the time. You, you can you can go to someone who might have good um, outward character, <laughs> you know, the evidence that there's character there, uh, might have some credentials. But if they're just trying to sell you something because that's how they earn a living, you might say, that I can't trust that person. I mean, that was sort of the, the, the cornerstone that we talked about today of where people feel burned as they were sold something. If they don't have a consistent process of helping you with your needs, then they're not trustworthy. It, it really is all three of those things. And I, and I want to make this point because I keep hearing Josh say it, and I want to make sure he's not mishearing what I'm saying. These aren't, these aren't um, um, things that you just look for on the surface, and then once they're there, you're good. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. It's, it's found through an interview process. And as Kevin said, it's then confirmed over time and over time. So each of these things you're looking for as you're interviewing someone. Now, where can you find someone to interview? And I've sort of come up with, with this is where I would start. This is what, um, what I would do. I'd first look for someone. You've got to screen whether they're a certified financial planner or not. Not all certified financial planners do comprehensive financial planning. But I would assure you, if they're doing comprehensive financial planning and not a CFP, to me, that just doesn't really make make sense. So first, go to CFP.net and search for someone in your area. But then second, I'd see if they're affiliated with Kingdom Advisors. That's an evidence or, or some indication of what their character might be and consistency might be. I'd, of course, check their website, see what their process is, make sure they're doing financial planning. And if they're affiliated with another cause or maybe Dave Ramsey's organization, something like that, you also get some sort of clues. And, and that's not, well, if they meet those screens, then they're good. No, no, no. That means interview them. And, mm-hmm. and see if they're a good fit for you. That's right. None of those uh, screens are really a license to just blindly trust someone. And, and I love that both of you are hitting on the theme that trust is something that is built very slowly over a long period of time. And so as you're interviewing a financial professional, my hope would be that you would approach it as if you are, you're looking to start a lifelong uh, relationship with this person. Yeah. Um, you're, you're looking for someone that you can still be trusting two decades from now, potentially, or at least the firm would be um, able to serve you long term. And it, it, it's uh, we say in our office that it takes a long time to build trust, but in a moment you can lose it. That's right. right? That's right. So um, I, I encourage you to start that process today, building trust with someone, uh, a professional that you can rely on. Should you have an emergency fund when you're in retirement? We've got that question and answer next here on The Wise Money Show.
This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. When you're in retirement, do you need an emergency fund? Oh, fabulous question by Harold. We're going to hit it in just a second. Thanks for being with us. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. If you've missed anything, there's a few ways you can catch up on this episode and every other. And the first is the podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, I personally do iTunes. I've got Apple devices. Uh, I don't think I'm getting that new phone, though. I don't know. That camera a little weirds me out in the back. So, Hey, with that camera, you could have your own show. Oh, there you Well, that's true. <laughs> the camera... Uh, better quality, that's for sure. But uh, on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, just search The Wise Money Show. You'll find it there. You can listen to every episode right there. I'd encourage you to subscribe to it, rate it, and and even like or share uh, the episodes that you do. Okay, On the YouTube channel as well, just search Wise Money Show there. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel and catch all the videos that we're posting beyond just these shows. And I'd even encourage you to hit that bell to notify uh, yourself when there are any new updates. And then lastly, you can catch up on any episode right there on the website. Just go to wisemoneyradio.com. That's what Harold did. He sent in a question. Oh, this is, I uh, apologize, Harold. This is several months ago now, but it's just finally made it there in the queue. So Harold67 from Granger. Here's what he said. Prior to retirement, an emergency fund of three months or more of your salary is there to cover loss of income if, some should, if something should happen. Once reaching retirement, the loss of income no longer really exists. How does the need for an emergency fund change at that point at retirement? What a thoughtful, insightful question. Yep. And at age 67, uh, I assume it's a very relevant one for Harold as well. And uh, you know, I, I love the fact that Harold is referring to a, a rule of thumb that every listener should be, uh, you know, kind of building into their financial life. Having liquid cash, you know, some sort of accessible resources to help you ride through whatever storms uh, are thrown your direction. Could be uh, literally a storm uh, uh creates problems for your roof, or uh, you've got a health concern, um, could be an interruption to your paycheck because of a job change or something like that. It's important to be able to, to, to have enough money to live life as normal without taking drastic action like borrowing money or cashing in long-term assets that really need to stay in growth mode. But what about when you get to retirement? Because you no longer have a paycheck that we have to worry about an interruption to, mm-hmm. theoretically. Um, y- you know, you do still have the joys of homeownership that, that happen, right? <laughs> you know, your furnace can still go out in, in retirement. Your car can still break down and, and so on. So it's important to have those resources. But the beauty that a retiree has, as long as they're over age 59 and a half, the money that they had been building up during their working career is fully accessible to them. But what if you wouldn't want to access it for some reason? Tax reasons, possibly. Tax reasons or maybe market reasons as well. Because I would argue that it's still possible for a retiree to to maybe have an interruption to their income in the sense that what if your investments were down for a period of time, a year or more, and you just don't want to sell at some depressed prices 
having liquid cash that you can live off of to give your investments time to rebound is an incredibly powerful, strong position to be in. And I've watched so many retirees, the, those who have the most confidence and have the least emotional tug during uh, market ups and downs, it's the people who still maintain a strong cash position even into retirement. Yeah, it, it's quite possible, Harold, and thanks for the great question, but it's quite possible that you want an even bigger cash reserve. So instead of the three months that you were used to, and the reason why you had three months, if you think about it, was wherever you were getting your paycheck before, they had made the provision to make sure they had ample cash to put the money in your bank account every two weeks. So that was wherever you were working, they made the provision to make sure that you were taken care of. You don't have that anymore, so now you have to make that provision for yourself. So what does that mean? Because you still need a, a three-month cash reserve Think of old man Murphy, right? The fridge is going to go out, the, the, the whatever else is going out. But you also need then the ability, wherever whatever your income stream is, and if part of that income stream is your investments, you're going to need to have the right portion of your investments liquid. So that's where you say, well, that might be in my IRA. So do I take the money out of my IRA and put it in the bank liquid? Nope. Leave that money in your IRA. We don't touch that until we need to. But this is where working with your certified financial planner to have a cash flow plan. And really, you, and, and really it's a cash flow system. So everyone knows who needs to do what and when to make sure that the plan stays on track. All right. So to summarize, the great answer. Some, to summarize, Josh, you said it's not just loss of income that people use emergency fund for. So you're right, Harold, that risk sort of goes away or it's different, but it still may make sense to have some cash on hand for repairs or accidents or other sort of emergencies that come up. You also, I think Kevin said, you might have more confidence having cash in the bank. And I actually see that a lot. A lot of times people's peace of mind with their finances is directly correlated to how much safety net is sitting there in the bank. Sometimes it's connected to the investments, but they know the investments go up and down. So there's this there's this peace uh, correlation between uh, what's in your bank and and your heart there and your, and your mind. So I, I'd consider that second. And then Kevin, my goodness, that, that was brilliant about you. You might it, this formula might be influenced on what your cash flow system is in retirement or what your income plan is. There's certainly times like these when the market's very volatile and the outlook is a little hazy. Um, making sure that you've got the right system and any short-term money is held in short-term investments, low-risk investments, is, is crucial. So I think, Harold, to sum that all up, if you've got a good income plan and you've got strong income – then you might still want a cash reserve to cover other emergencies that could come up or to just give you more financial confidence. So, great question. All right, let's take another one in here. So Eric's 24 from South Bend. Um, so my wife and I have been renting an apartment since we graduated college a year ago and now would like to buy a house. How much do you recommend we put down on the house and what types of mortgages do you recommend? Interesting timing with this since mortgage rates have dropped considerably from a year ago. 
by default, Eric, I, I would suggest that you guys build up 20% to be able to put down. Now, that's not taking your cash reserve, all the money that you would have to buy a lawnmower or buy paint or whatever, and put all of that on the house so that you get to that 20% number. But I would try to build up so that you've got enough money to put 20% down so that you can avoid private mortgage insurance, PMI. Yeah, private mortgage insurance is basically an added cost to your mortgage that's there just because you didn't have enough down payment and it's there to protect the lender ultimately. So just think of this as an extra cost that protects them, does nothing for you. And it's one of the reasons why 20% is kind of the magic number that, that we would recommend. But you asked another part of the question, what type of mortgage would you put in place? And, um, you know, my conservative nature likes to lock in an interest rate so that I don't have to worry about future interest rates rising, that sort of thing. We happen to be in an environment right now where it sure feels like interest rates are going to be flat or maybe even coming down some in the foreseeable future, but not forever. If you're going to be in this house for 30 years, it, it may be nice to have the interest rate locked in and, and you take all the guesswork out. There are many people in your stage of life, though, Eric, who would claim with confidence that they're not going to be in this house for very long. And because of that, um, th there are some who would choose to use another type of mortgage called an adjustable rate mortgage. This basically gives a promotional interest rate that's lower for some period of time. could be for three years, five years, seven years, whatever. But uh, you get a lower interest rate for that period of time, and then after, after that stretch has expired, then the interest rate floats from, from there. If you're only going to be in the house for a little while, it could allow you to lower the interest rate even more, reducing your monthly payment and allowing you to get into savings mode. That's the name of the game for you is begin building up the resources for emergencies and long-term goals and not having every single dollar go to a mortgage. Oh my, there's more to hit there, but we that is all the time we have. My guess is we'll hit that topic again very soon. So thanks for the question, Eric. Harold, thanks for listening today as well. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, myself, and all of us at KFG, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.